Hi, everybody. Good to be with you. Uh, we are continuing today in our series, The Christmas Carols. And uh, today we're going to talk uh, about a very famous carol indeed. I can see the church building from our dining room window. And so we've got a pretty good view of the big conifer that's dressed up in Christmas lights, which our two-year-old has been very excited about. Every morning, she checks to see if the lights are still on, and then she'll report back promptly. The other day, we were looking out the window together at the tree and at the lights as they were blowing in the wind. And she asked me a question. She said, what's the tree doing, Daddy? At first, I told her that the tree was dancing. And then I tried to expand on how wind works, foolishly. As you can imagine, my explanations didn't interest her as much as the idea that the tree was dancing. And so we left it at that. Isaiah 55 reads, For you shall go out in joy, and shall be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you will burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Well, it's, uh, it's nice to know that I'm not the only one dealing in metaphors this time of year. Our carol today, just a few days before the big day, is Joy to the World. And it's probably among the most famous carols that we sing. Every year when planning the Christmas Eve service, we ask ourselves, what carols do we absolutely have to sing? And Joy to the World always is selected. It was written by Isaac Watts, who apparently, as a teenager, complained endlessly about the boring way the Psalms were recited at church. The story goes that his father got so annoyed by Isaac's moaning that he cha challenged him to, to pen an alternative. And so Isaac wrote his first hymn. The artist known as the father of English hymn writing was born. And it's kind of funny that a moody teenager grew up to write Joy to the World. And maybe that gives some parents out there a little bit of hope. Ironically, Joy to the World was probably not first intended to be a Christmas carol, but it became popular and ended up a favorite in the Christmas playlist. Watts based the hymn on Psalm 98, which is a poem that emphasizes God's salvation, God's authority to judge, the world in, in righteousness. It depicts also the joy that all creation bursts into because creation is in good hands. Psalm 98 reads, The Lord has announced his victory. He has revealed his righteousness to every nation. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness or equity. Now the case has been made, of course, that Psalm 98 and Joy to the World feels more like it has to do with Jesus' second coming than his first, and so it's not a very good Christmas carol. But as others have argued, there's no second coming without a first coming. And one of the ways that we look forward in hope is by looking backward at promise. 
And we can sing the carol either way, thinking about Jesus' first arrival, which we read about in the Gospels, or his impending return, which we read about in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. Either way, the heartbeat of joy to the world remains. That Jesus is the designer and the sustainer of all creation. He's come to put right what's wrong. And all of creation not only longs for this salvation, but welcomes it with exuberant joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and heaven and nature sing. The carol isn't out of step with our Advent reading today either. Through Mary's song in Luke 1, we hear a very young girl standing in the middle of all creation, brimming with expectation and joy, singing about God's mercy and justice. It's from within creation, literally from within Mary's womb, from which this renewal and justice will spring. So fitting when so many women around us this time of year embody so much. Loving, leading, providing, giving birth, we might say, to endless moments of hope and possibility. Because like Mary, they've said yes to God's work in the deep recesses of their being. Thank God for Mary, and thank God for all women at Christmas. So Psalm 98 Isaiah 55, Mary's song in Luke 1, and Joy to the World hold together something about Christmas that we often pull apart. They hold together that it is not just little old me that needs saving and renewing, but all of creation of which I'm a part. Scripture tells us that creation is good and a gift. That's in Genesis 1. But we also learn in Genesis 3 that that the effects of human arrogance and defiance have unleashed a kind of toxicity which wasn't contained in the first humans. Sin, which leads to death. And not just human death, but a death which spreads into the entire created order. And it's when we read passages like Isaiah 55 or, or Psalm 98 that we're reminded of how enmeshed humanity is with the world in which we're set. Which is why we need to take seriously questions about creation care as Christians, the concerning signs that we're facing with our climate, or the migration or refugee crisis and other challenges are at least a little connected to the fact that humans have not taken seriously the interdependence inbuilt into creation and our responsibility to the world in which we live. No man is an island unto himself, wrote John Donne, one of Isaac Watts' contemporaries, actually. We do not live in Tupperware containers, sealed off from one another. We are threads, woven together and woven into the fabric of creation itself. But in today's hyperattention on being an individual, we're in danger of not giving attention to our interconnection. And Christians are no exception. 
we can tend at times to make Jesus a little too personal. Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, we might say, or that Jesus has come into my heart. Now, there's nothing wrong, of course, with knowing and loving Jesus personally. I'm not saying that we should stop singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus is in my heart. Jesus is in your heart. But when we overemphasize just me and Jesus, we run the risk of missing a bigger story at play. It's not really just me and Jesus. It is more accurately, as the carol puts it, both every heart and all of heaven and nature, which needs to receive Jesus, both the micro and the macro in desperate need of saving. And it may just be a refrain, but the repetition of and heaven and nature sing in Joy to the World numerous times impresses on us this bigger picture. Jesus wants to renew my little old heart, but he also wants to renew every river, every mountain lion, every forgotten flower on the floor of the rainforest. We're gonna sing Joy to the World in just a few moments together. So what do we need to hear as we sing? Well, let me point out three things. First, we need to hear about all creation. Second, we need to hear about all authority. And third, we need to hear about all joy. So first, the carol hints at the scriptural promise that God will bring renewal or restoration for all creation. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. So if we've gotten myopic about Jesus, that should set us back a little. Baby Jesus isn't laying there in a manger just for Mary or Joseph or the shepherds. He's come for the sheep too. If we take Jesus' lordship over creation seriously, we'd even have to say that he's come for the hay. So it's no surprise that the natural world comes to the forefront at Christmas in our celebrations and, and decorations when we hang stars or, or children play with nativity sets with animals in them. It's right to remember that this is a cosmic story of which we are a very small part. All of creation is represented. And that's a bit of the wonder that comes at Christmas, the light dispelling the dread that the whole universe is centered on us, that everything hangs on us. The light that shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Those, of course, are words from John's gospel, which doesn't give us shepherds or mangers or magi, but it offers a wider view of things. John writes, he, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light to all people. So the next time that we're gazing longingly at like a candle or eat a mouthful of turkey, or see a lit tree swaying in the wind, we can breathe in with the hope that, that Jesus cares about me, but he also cares for a great deal more than just 
me. And maybe if we could begin to widen our gaze, our anxieties over his capacity to love us, to forgive us, to, to handle us, would ease a little bit. A while back, somebody wrote a, a book called Your God is Too Small. And maybe that's a statement that we need to mull over at Christmas time, especially. I'm reminded even of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem as an adult under the praises of the crowds and the disapproval of the authorities. When the authorities said, stop the people from singing, Jesus replied that if the people don't praise, then the rocks will break out into song. Christmas is a good time to look around at creation and remember just how weighty this little baby Jesus is. His birthright dwarfs his birth weight. Christmas is a cosmic story and Jesus is the source of all life and light. So a Christmas carol like Joy to the World reminds us that Jesus is for all creation. But the carol also sings that all authority is in Jesus' hands. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. He rules the world with truth and grace, which is, of course, central to Psalm 98, as we saw earlier, as it is to Mary's song in Luke 1. And this might feel a little uncomfortable. Jesus being for and loving creation into renewal sounds very on brand nowadays, doesn't it? But what about this authoritative Jesus? How do we feel about him? Or with being told that humanity is central to the created order, even the pinnacle of the created order, but not the absolute center, not the absolute pinnacle. One of the things that you'll hear very often from my generation are the words, uh, don't judge me. And here we're faced with words about God's righteous judgment in Psalm 98 and Luke 1. Well, my generation also likes to talk about justice an awful lot, but we're slowly realizing that we're not very good at justice on our own. Can we really trust humanity by human merit alone to get judgment and justice right? It's carols like Joy to the World, which tell us that Christmas comes with a kind of dethroning. If we've set ourselves up, as ultimate authorities, either in our own hearts or in our houses of parliament, the message of Christmas brings us down a few pegs, which when you think about it, is actually a reassuring thing to hear these days as we're faced with the cold hard facts about human limitation and, and incapacity. The governance of the world is not administered by many with an abundance of truth and grace. And anyone in any kind of authority can tell you that, that the more power that you're given, the harder it is to deal in truth and grace daily. Just ask school teachers among us. The moral questions are never ending. The disappointment from those that you serve is constant. The, the temptation to deal in deception and heavy handedness grows the higher the office. This is one of the many reasons, I think, that we should pray for all those in authority over us as Scripture nudges. 
And maybe that's a good invitation this year to pray for rather than moan about those in authority. That might be a tall order. But then again, experts say that growth only comes when we have a goal that we set that we're not sure we can beat. What I'm trying to say is, at Christmas, we're invited to place our hopes, our expectations on an authority who is just, who is gracious, who is true and truthful, who is not us, and who has, in the end, all authority. Scripture tells us that there was a good beginning and promises that there there will be a good end under this character, under this authority. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, says the carol. We long for mercy. We long for truth. We long for justice. And if we're disillusioned about the state of things these days, placing that longing on Jesus would be a good step of trust at Christmas. I think the other bit of good news that comes along with this is that placing our trust in Jesus as a righteous judge doesn't mean that we're sidelined when it comes to living justly ourselves. It's not as if we can wash our hands of justice at all. It means that we find our rightful place under that authority, taking on appropriate responsibility as human beings and, of course, as people of faith. We can still act with truth and justice, but it comes without the crushing weight that it's all on our shoulders. I saw a a cartoon this year of the climate activist Greta Thunberg with the world literally on her shoulders. And the caption read, somebody's got to do it. And though I can appreciate the passion that the artist was channeling, I was troubled by the crushing weight of that message for a younger generation. Of course, we've got to play our part in renewal. We need to stand up for conscience and justice. But Christmas says that it's not all down to us. We can engage with the knowledge that all authority lies beyond the human race. And the heavy burden is lifted when we keep that in mind. Maybe that's not only a responsible way to engage in justice issues that we're faced with, but a freeing, a liberating way to engage. So we're thinking about Jesus being for all creation, having all authority over creation, which leads to the final point, all joy. Tonight at our drive-in movie food drive, we're showing a Charlie Brown Christmas. And you might remember, if you've ever seen it, that scene when Charlie Brown goes to Lucy's psychiatric booth for help, even though we're pretty skeptical about Lucy's credentials at this point. Uh, And he says, you know, She says to him, I think we better pinpoint your fears. If we can find out what you're afraid of, then we can label it. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you are hyponglygonophobia. Are you afraid of staircases? If you are, then you have climacophobia. Or maybe you have pantophobia. Do you have pantophobia? What's that? Charlie Brown asks. The fear of everything, she says. Charlie Brown says, that's it. 
Well, you get the picture. There's a lot to be afraid of these days. And it seems there was a lot to be afraid of in 1965 when Charles Schultz was writing the Peanuts comic strip. And there was a lot to be afraid of in the 18th century when Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World. And there was a lot to be afraid of in the first century when Mary sang her song in Luke 1. What I mean is every generation faces fear as it takes shape broadly around us or in our unique personal histories. The fear of not having enough or of never getting well or the fear of whatever malevolent forces that we can't control are, are knocking at our door, at our doorstep. We only have to think of the crisis in Afghanistan or Haiti or Ethiopia or the flood-ravaged places in our province. Even the fear of one another because we don't feel safe, we can't trust. Maybe even the fear of myself and what rages inside. Fear is formidable. This next part then, because fear is formidable, is never easy to articulate. But audaciously, audaciously, with this baby in the manger, Christmas calls fear into question. Not in the sense that our fears are illegitimate or small, really. The message from the angels to the shepherds of don't be afraid isn't, I think, something we should hear with a patronizing tone, as, as if we're being told to grow up and get on with it. At Christmas, it's, it's not as though God is, is patting us on the head and saying, there, there, it's not so bad. But it is precisely because it is so bad, because it is so dark, that the joyful light breaks through so dramatically. The message that Jesus brings, good news of great joy for all people, stands in contrast to the bad news, somehow outweighing fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's the most common command of all of Scripture, we might remember. It comes with a reassuring tone, not a tone of condemnation. Don't be afraid. Because what is coming and who is coming brings love that bests fear, light which outgrows darkness, life which swallows up death. Don't be afraid. Believe the good news about Jesus, about his authority over things, about his love and attention, so that the burden lifts and you can breathe more easily. I know that's easier said than done. But if we read past Luke 2 and the Nativity story, we'll notice that joy was very often the overwhelming response to Jesus turning up in some place or to some person. What we learn through that is that when we welcome Jesus, love presses out fear. And what follows is relief and joy. So can we prepare a little room in our hearts for Jesus even even right now. You know, later in Charlie Brown's Christmas, when Linus recites the nativity story, remember, in Luke 2, he closes by saying to Charlie Brown, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. What will our Christmas be all about this year? Will it be all about disappointment, all about bitterness, all about fear? 
Or can we let Christmas be Christmas and bring us the good news for all people and all creation? And that might be easy for some of us this year. For others, it's gonna take some real trust because we know we're facing some real hardship. But if we're prone to despair, or even if we've been dabbling in despair the last couple of years more intently, today is the day to sing joy to the world from our guts if we can, or at the very least under our breath. Not because we necessarily feel the joy just yet, though some of us might, but because we are singing to our own chests. Let every heart, let my heart prepare him room, joining in as little bits of heaven and nature ourselves. So let's stand up and clap our hands along with the trees outside. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns reigns.